We're on a four-week series called uh, uh, Why is the Resurrection so important? We're going through uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul is making um, an argument uh, to the Corinthian church, and the argument he's making is the resurrection is extremely important. You should be paying attention to it. You should be accepting it. You should be living for it. You should be willing to die for it. The resurrection is everything, and, and for the next four weeks, uh, or for last week and the next three weeks, we're going to go over this and figure out that answer that 1 Corinthians 15 is saying. Why is the res- resurrection uh, so important? And try to understand those concepts. Of course, we're celebrating Easter next weekend. Why are we so excited? So last week we talked about the resurrection is so important because it validates everything who Christ is. It solidifies everything he taught. It solidifies everything that he was, everything that he taught, and his entire mission in mind. And it showed and proclaimed that he is God as a result of the resurrection that took place. This morning we're going to talk about why is the resurrection so important. Number one, the resurrection is important because it is the first fruits of the final resurrection. There is going to be a resurrection from the dead, meaning that when Christ comes and returns, we will rise. Not only believers will rise, but the just and the unjust will rise in the last days. And here Paul is going to make mention of it in our passage this morning. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ is raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him. In fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not even raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for those, only for this life we have but hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. You can see in this passage that Paul definitely wants to get a point across. Might even be a little bit grumpy in saying, Corinthians church, you need to listen to what I'm saying here. And if he's saying it to the first Corinthians, or the Corinthian church, he's probably saying it to our church as well. So let's ask the question, what is he saying? Number two, your body will be resurrected at the second coming of Christ. You can read that passage and definitely makes a statement. It's all about the second resurrection in Christ, the first fruits of that resurrection. My father died in 2015, and after he passed away, my three brothers, or two brothers and I, so three of us, uh, were talking about where to bury him. And he lives in Spokane, lived in Spokane, and we found a cemetery that was in the country. And it wasn't extremely uh, kept up, but it's a beautiful area. Um, and we said, well, maybe we should have him buried here. So we went to the funeral home after he died, and, and when we talked to the funeral home, uh, we said, well, we kind of like to have him buried there instead of here in this prestige place. And, and the funeral director says, well, you can, but they're a little um, old-fashioned there, and, and uh, over there, you know, the grass isn't always going to be green. Uh, there's no underground sprinkler um, systems that will take place, and all the maintenance that takes place in that cemetery is all volunteer, so sometimes it might slack every once in a while. And and they do do it the old-fashioned way because they don't bring a backhoe in there because a backhoe will not be able to fit. So 
they hire a young person to uh, dig the grave with a shovel and says, is that what you really want or would you rather have it here? We looked at him and says, oh yeah, that's definitely what we want. We definitely want the grave digger. So sure enough, we went down there and um, to meet the person that is going to talk to us about where we're going to put the grave and then also talk to the person that's going to dig the grave. And, and we went out there. It was, it was a little rough. I mean, they were a little rough around the edges. Young strapping guy walked up and I introduced myself, and I said, are you the grave digger? He says, yes, I am. I said, thank you for burying my father, for digging the grave for my father. And then a little moments later, this, this truck pulled in, and this old guy that could barely walk with a cane stepped out of the truck. And when he stepped out of the truck, he grabbed this big, long map, and he walked to the back of the truck, and I introduced myself, and he, of course, said hello to me. And uh, then he pulled out this big, huge map where all the grave sites were at, and that map looked older than he did. And, uh, but he says, well, we're kind of full, but uh, we'll be able to place them somewhere. There's some good spots right here, and, and here's, a whole, this is not a good spot, this is not a good spot. He goes, this is my spot that I've already bought. So we had a great conversation that took place, and I said, well, let's look at this area. So we went to look at that area, and he grabbed a, a probe, you know, because he wanted to see where we we're going to fit, because he was, where my dad was going to fit, because it was tight. We'll put it that way. And he says, well, we can try to stick them here, we can stick them here. And as, as he was talking, he really didn't have a clean mouth. He was blankety-blank, FDF, just about every other word that he was talking. And as he was trying to figure out where to place my dad, I, I heard him say something that kind of shocked me. He said, I don't know where to blankety-blank, FDF, uh, put them, except we've got to get them going east. And I'm like, east? You going to bury my dad east? Make sure he's facing east? He says, yeah. I go, well, why do you bury him east? What if I want him to go west? And he said, no, 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 we, we bury him east. I go, why do you bury him east? Because everybody's buried east. I go, why is everybody buried east? He says, I don't know. I'm just told to bury everybody east. I said, oh, okay, I think I know why you're going to bury him east. Here's a passage in Scripture. Matthew 24, 27. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man will be coming east. So, of course, I want to do some research a little bit. Well, that cemetery says he buried everybody east. How many cemeteries bury people east? Well, it's hard to figure it out across the entire planet, but across the entire planet, the majority of all cemeteries, are, bodies are facing east. And if you look at America, look at its statistics, 194 million graves have been, uh, have been dug since 1900s to 2015s, and 180 million of those American graves are actually facing east. 93% of all the graves are facing east. I love the comment in the movie Pearl Harbor. The best quote is, it looks like the Japanese are preparing for war, are we? And we can look at this topic and say, it looks like this planet is preparing for a resurrection, are you? And if you start thinking about it, even if you blankety-blank, FDF, don't really give a rip about God, there's still a planet that's getting ready for a resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a, loud, a voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call from God, and the dead of Christ will rise first. Acts 24, 15. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. The Bible is all about resurrection, 
and it's almost getting prepared. It is prepared for Christ's return, whether we believe it or not. So what does this resurrection entail? What is it going to look like? Number three, the Bible is all about the resurrection of the body, not the reincarnation, reduplication, or recreation or replacement of the body. It speaks specific resurrection. Well, what does resurrection mean? Just out of the dictionary, what resurrection means, this is the definition, the act of restoring a dead person, for example, to life. Or the other part, the condition of having been restored to life. So if this is the definition of resurrection, are they restoring our soul to life if our soul relieves from the body? The answer is no, because our soul does not die. Our soul is going to be with God. Well, what are they restoring to life? Are they restoring the soul, the spirit, or are they restoring the body? And if they are restoring the body, what does that necessarily even look like? Let's look at the definition of restore. Restore is to bring back into existence or use. Are they going to bring back our bodies into existence and use? To bring back to an original or normal condition. Is our bodies going to come back into uh, original or even normal condition? You hear the words resurrection. You don't hear the words reincarnation, reduplication, or even replacement or recreation in the Bible, but you hear that word resurrection. And that is the definition about it. So what does the Bible believe? The same body that dies will rise again. Hebrews 11, Abraham believes it. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. It's interesting how you look at the tones. It's, he considered that God is able to raise people. Well, that's one thing, but even from the dead, almost even come to the next step, saying this body is going to raise from the dead. Jude 1.9 makes an interesting statement. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, argued about the body of Moses. Now, archangels are one of the nine orders of the angels that are in the Bible, and Michael was kind of the head of the entire archangel. So we'd say he's a CEO. Maybe he's just a really extremely important angel. Well, he is spending time doing what? Making an argument with another really, really important being, which would be, according to this passage, the devil. So you have two top officials, one on the right, and one, well, I mean, one on the bad and one on the good, and they're arguing over something. And what are they arguing about? Moses' body. But where's Moses? Moses is, is in heaven. But what we're talking about, his body. Well, why would you argue about the body if Moses is not there? It's a good question to ask, and I would say even a legitimate one. Is there something important about that body? Is that body going to do something in the future? Is that body going to raise from the dead? Isaiah believes it. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead will live. Their corpses will rise. Just getting right to the point. A corpse will rise. You will lie in the dust, awake, and shout for joy. Job believes it. Job 19. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. King James Version says it just the way it is and gets a little more graphic. Same verse. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. Is God going to put our bodies back together in the resurrection? Or what is going to take place? Uh, I got an important package in the mail this last week 
uh, we're going to Israel, and as we're going to Israel, the company called me up that we're going with and said, I'm going to send you this package um, that has about $6,000 worth of checks, and they're going to be located in all different checks, and they'll have specific instructions on where to give this money to. You know, 4000 is going to go to a tip for the, you know, the bus, and then you got the motel tips, and then you're paying this person, you're paying that person, because we have 38 people from our church going to Israel. So it's a pretty large group, and it's a definitely important package. He says, we'll also have your plane tickets there, and you'll be, have your itinerary and, and all these questions that you'll be able to answer. So make sure that you're there to pick up the mail. So last week, I got a little posty note in there that said, we will not drop off this mail unless we have instructions where to drop it or if you sign for it and pick it up in person. Um, so I said, I'm, I'm working. I don't really want to sign for it, pick it up in person. In the box, they said, or you can sign it and then check a box. So I signed it and checked a box, front porch, back porch, underneath the rug, on top of the roof. I had all sorts of areas I could put it, and I just put back porch. Sure enough, I came home from work, and this is what I saw. I have two dogs, sweet dogs, <laughs> and, uh, and they got this package, and they got a hold of this package, and they enjoyed this package. The next one just kind of shows the importance of this package that should have all of our documents in it, and many of you are going to Israel with me, and you got the same package, and yours is probably put together. And of course, here's my dogs, and they're just looking at me and says, well, you didn't tell us not to tear it apart. So I will tell you that as I was trying to find the pieces of it, my heart was beating fast, and it was not easy, and it was extremely difficult. I was not trying to resurrect that package. I was just trying to find the pieces. Well, think about God when he comes. This is what the resurrection looks like, is every single atom, every single molecule is under God's sovereign power and sovereign control, and he knows where everything is, and he will find the pieces and put it back together in a glorious state at the end of the resurrection. Do you believe it? Well, what about the people that are, you know, cremated? I mean, that's going to be a little more difficult. It's a lot easier to put somebody in the grave because all the pieces are there. What about the people that are cremated? Guarantee God has enough power to resurrect that person as well. What about people that flew into the World Trade Center? Are people that went into the World Trade Center and were disintegrated, uh, is there pieces that God's going to find and put them all back together and make this into a glorious, beautiful state again? Uh, the answer is yes. And how do we know that the answer is yes? The reason we know the answer is yes, because according to Scripture, Osama bin Laden will be resurrected again. Well, how do you know Osama bin Laden will be resurrected? Well, what happened to him? He was killed, and when he was killed, he was then dropped into the sea, according to the Islamic custom. And as he's dropped into the sea, we don't want to go into great detail, but what happened to his body? Fish grab a hold of it, fish eat it, bigger fish swallow smaller fish, and as his body goes clear across the entire seas of this world, sometimes we go fishing, even catch fish, put it on our table, and then we eat it. All those molecules are spread clear across the entire ocean. Look at this passage, Revelation 20. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as, uh, according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Thomas Watson makes a comment, at the resurrection every soul shall have its own body. The same body that dies ar will arise. Some hold that they shall be clothed with a new body. 
but then it would be improper to call it a resurrection of the body. It should be called the recreation of the body. Plagueis, which is a British theologian, I disagree with a lot of his theology, but uh, I like this quote. Some claim that there is a resurrection of the soul, but not of the body. Though this makes no sense, how can there be a resurrection of something which has not died? If the soul does not die, there's no way the soul can be resurrected. There is something that God has in mind with the body. Now, the next couple weeks, we're going to explore what this resurrected body is going to look like and the beauty of it and the power of it, but just to make a statement really fast of what's going to take place through this resurrection is our resurrected body is going to rise from mortal to immortal. It will be agile. It will be free from hunger. It will be transparent. It will be warm. It will be friendly, according to Scripture, and we'll be looking at those verses. Um, It will be free from injuries It will be a glorious body. It will be a spiritual body, similar to the body, and I'd almost say the same body that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead as he walked through walls. But one thing we got to look at it is going to be transparent. And what's he going to do? Bring our body inside of this resurrection and make it alive again. But let's stay on topic in regards to this resurrection. Number four, Christ's resurrection is the first fruits that unfolds the power of the final resurrection. The resurrection is the most glorious thing in Scripture. The whole Old Testament talks about it, and then after it takes place in the Gospel, the New Testament just doesn't stop talking about it and says this is the area of our salvation. This is what everything is all about. So if the resurrection is the most glorious thing, how is God going to make it absolutely powerful, absolutely beautiful, and what are you going to see God do in that process? If it's going to be glorious, I'll tell you, he's going to take it from the bottom, and he's going to bring it to the top. And how is he going to take it from the bottom? But what is the most sickest thing that is here on this planet? The most grossest thing that is on this planet that would cause diseases if it is outside of the ground is the human body. In fact, if a catastrophe happens, we've got to get the bodies in the ground because if we don't get the bodies in the ground, we're in trouble. Charles Spurgeon makes a comment that death puts a body in such a frightful state that nobody can fall in love with it except the worms making the statement that this is something we don't keep after they die. So I'd say it's the most horrific thing raised to do what? Be the most glorious thing. And in that resurrection, you're going to see the power of God like no other. You will see a planet and you will see the earth where molecules have been in God's hands every single second, and you will see them put back together in a state of beauty and glory and immortality. That's why we look at the resurrection and say it is the tip of the sword according to Scripture, but it's also the tip of the sword according to Christ's amazing, beautiful, and matchless work. Another powerful tip of the sword was his birth. What was his birth? His birth was God doing a miracle that involved himself He's moving almost into, he is moving into the lines of nature, human nature. God is moving into human nature. In the resurrection, you're going to see something else. Yes, you're going to see science and the supernatural going into science and putting and restoring the entire world back together in the process of that resurrection. God did not give us the ability to discover scientific formulas to tell the world, tell the world how smart we are. God actually gave us the ability to understand scientific formulas to look at his majesty and give him praise for his glory and a scientific formula of the supernatural going into it 
is going to be the most beautiful thing we'll ever see. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Church in Corinth is having little problems with it. It's like, whoa, okay, Jesus was raised from the dead, but there cannot be any resurrection of the dead. We'll take the Jesus, but we just can't take this resurrection of the dead because that's too thick, that's too strong. Paul's argument says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This is your first fruits to the most glorious thing that will ever happen on this planet. This is the first fruits, the most glorious thing that will ever happen on this planet. Corinthian church is saying, uh, are you sure? I think that's a, a little bit crazy. Well, Paul is very forceful in the Corinthian church. Why? Because they have the same problem that we have at church in America. Well, yes, we can swallow the concept that Jesus was rising from the dead easily because he's only dead for three days. It's difficult for me to find the pieces to that envelope and to that letter. The three days, it's not too difficult for God. But people that have been dead for 4,000 years and taken every molecule and put it back together and make it into a mortal state, a beautiful state, I mean, that's a little bit over God's head, isn't it? Well, Matthew 27, let's read this verse. He'll show that Jesus is the first fruits of this resurrection. At the moment, this is right after Jesus died, at the moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks split. Then this is interesting that we often pass over. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Why did this happen. Christ raised from the dead, and all of a sudden we have what? Holy people. Scholars believe that they're the saints of old. Well, who are they? What saints of old rose from the dead? Well, we have no information of their names or who they are. All we know are they're saints of old, and all that tells us is that they were old. Jesus, three days in the grave, and after he dies, or, um, at, on the cross, after he dies, what happens? Those who are old are then what? raised from the dead. This is the first fruits of the final resurrection because Christ is the one that carries those first fruits. Number five, Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of restoration. Used to be the missions pastor in Africa. And when I was a missions pastor, whenever somebody died in Africa, um, I'd receive a picture of the dead body. Um, in Africa, they, they paint the corpse and they, they get it all fixed up as, as nice as could be and then they, then they send me the picture. Ben Margai would, of course, send me a picture. My daughters would look at my phone and says, why do you have a picture of a whole bunch of dead bodies on your phone? But that was just their custom to, to do that. And, and the reason why they did that is I believe that they wanted me to see how nicely dressed the body was before they put him in the, put him in the grave. And I don't mean to be unsensitive or anything, but I, I wanted to respond to him and say, well, why don't you just leave it exactly the way it is, take a picture in about a month and send it my direction, and I'll tell you how good you did. The point is, what takes place, it's not about how you go into the grave that is the issue. Because if we make that the issue, then some people are out of luck. And those people are the ones that went into the World Trade Center. Those people are the ones that were in the mass burials in World War II where they just piled Nobody is, to use the terms, not biblical, but out of luck. Every person that gets even thrown into the mass grave, God is there, God is with, every molecule is under his control, and those bodies will someday rise from the grave. 
closing, it doesn't matter how dressed, if you're dressed appropriately, God will still rise you. It does not matter that if you're facing west instead of east, don't worry about it. God will just turn you a little bit and bring you up. It does not matter if you were cremated. It's not out of God's control. He will put you back together. It does not matter if you were in an atomic bomb, suffer from an atomic bomb. Every piece of molecule will be put back together, and you will be alive again. And it also doesn't matter if you're thrown into the sea, because there's a verse for that will explain, you will rise from the dead, it will take place, and it will happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has been raised, then our preaching is vain. Has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Paul is saying, if the dead are not going to be raised, don't even tell me that Jesus was raised, because he was raised for the purpose to say the dead are raised. Believe it. See, what this is teaching is that God is not going to avoid the destruction of sin. He's not going to avoid the ugliness of sin. He's not even going to avoid all the death of sin. Of course, he didn't avoid it at the cross. But God is going to clean up the mess of sin. He's not going to leave this world and say, okay, this world messed up. I'm going to create something else and throw it away. No, he's going to come to the world and says, I'm going to clean it up. And Jesus' resurrection is the step to clean up the sin and garbage that has taken place for all the years. And then, of course, the death that followed. Number six, Christ rose from the dead so you can live with him for eternity. Do you believe it? I went to the graveside service after my dad died and it was after the funeral service and the coffin and the place where the tent was all set up was not in the same location where the grave was built of course when we walked up there you know the people approached us very quickly and said that we just need to explain something that the grave was not dug necessarily that would fit your dad so we're going to do the ceremony over there but then we'll get him into the area and so sure enough we did the ceremony in the graveside and then I went over to the area where that grave was dug and and there is no carpet over the grave. It was just a hole six feet deep. And I looked into that hole and said, that will be the resting place of my father. But I also looked in the hole and said, this is not the last day that this dirt will see the sunshine. Because someday my father is going to rise from the dead. There is a first fruit. And the first fruit of that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everybody will rise from the dead. Maybe we should be asking the question, do you believe in Christ, the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe in Christ, the one who is the chief resurrection of the dead? What happens is that we're going to raise, and when we're raised, we're going to either rise in judgment, or we're going to rise in the arm of Christ. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen to everybody. And as we're looking at this, it's going to happen ask the question, do I believe it, or have I even embraced it? God, you're a king of kings, lord of lords, and the resurrection says that every single molecule is under your control. Am I under your control? Have I embraced you for salvation? Will I see you when I rise from the dead, or will I be raised in judgment? Had somebody come to my office 
last Saturday night. And when he came to my office, he said, I'm scared out of my mind that I've, un- I've committed the unpardonable sin. And please tell me what this unpardonable sin is to see if I have committed it or not. If you look at the passage of the unpardonable sin, it says, you can, pla- you can blaspheme Jesus Christ, but you cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And just really quick, talking about that, well, what is blasphemy Jesus Christ? How come I can blaspheme him but not the Holy Spirit? Well, because Jesus is powerful. Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is majestic. We can't even believe in Jesus unless the Holy Spirit gives us a revelation of who he is. So you can blaspheme Jesus, and you can still be forgiven, but when the Holy Spirit shows you who Jesus is and the power in him and the resurrection that he gave for you, then you've got to make a decision. Right now, if you've heard about Christ and the resurrection, you've got to make a decision. Is he king of kings? Is he Lord of lords? Have I embraced him or have I neglected him? Salvation is yours. If you say, Christ, I believe in your death and I believe my sin was on your shoulders when you died. I believe you went into the grave and you rose again and I believe that if I believe in that, I will be your child. That is salvation. All centered around the resurrection. Father, we just thank you so much, God, for coming to earth as a man, living a perfect life, placing our sins on your shoulders, and then paying the price that my sin deserved. Thank you, God, that you took my sin to the grave and rose again. And God, I just pray that that will be the driving source of my life. I pray that that would be the source that I am consumed by, that I think about all the time, that I make decisions over. God, I'd also like to pray that it would be everybody else's source in this room as well. I pray for anybody that has not received you, God, that they would say the simple words, God, save me. God, your resurrection is for me. I embrace it. Please save me. Salvation is ours, God, if we do it. I pray for anybody in the room that has not embraced that. In Christ's name, amen.